Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. This morning, we're going to play a game. I'm going to show you guys a picture uh, of a famous person from when they were in high school. And I want you, if you think you know who it is, just shout out the name. Uh, So here's the first one. Matt Lauer. I heard Matt Lauer. That is Matt Lauer. If you watch it, he's got a lot more hair right there. Um, okay, show the next one. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck. Well, these were too easy. But yes, that is the Andrew Luck. This one, you're looking at the guy on the left. Guy on the left. That is me. <laughs> looking thrilled to be wearing a tie. Those are my good buddies, Rick and Rob, set of twins. So um, isn't it funny how amazing uh, pictures can be you know, from your middle school years, and how it's almost like the photographer that takes the school pictures, like, is just trying to make you look as goofy as possible in those pictures, and, and, and I'm guessing the same is true for you. If you, had, if you had to go home and dig up a middle school picture, or maybe even a high school picture, I was not in that picture, but I sported an epic mullet when I was in high school, um, I'm guessing the same is true for you. You would go back and find these pictures and maybe be slightly embarrassed that that is what you look like at some point in your life. And um, sure, it's technically you. It's your hair, your face. But you may not, they may not, if you, someone saw that picture of you as a, a kid in school, they may not know that that was you unless you told them, yeah, well, that's kind of my picture. And so um, we've, all, we've all got pictures like that. Now, how many of you guys have a picture hanging up in your house of Jesus? Anybody got a picture, portrait painting of Jesus? How many of you had a grandma or a grandpa that had a picture, portrait painting of Jesus? Um, there are pictures of, of Jesus. Um, you, you know the ones where Jesus kind of looks uh, hungry or, or angry, maybe in the picture. We'll just call that hangry, hangry Jesus. I've got a couple of examples. I want to show you some pictures. Google's a phenomenal resource for, uh, to dig up pictures like this. You get, my favorite one is uh, Surfer Jesus. Because if, if Jesus could walk on water, what well, just makes sense, he could surf with no surfboard on water, right? And, and so if, if you're like me, you see these pictures of Jesus uh, from maybe your childhood or growing up or, or just in culture, and you see Jesus that way, and it, that's the mental image that, that forms in our mind of what Jesus is like. And so whether it's flowing hair Jesus, or angry Jesus, or overly nice Jesus, or surfer Jesus, maybe you have a strange view of what Jesus is like based on that image that's planted itself in your mind. And so whenever someone starts talking about Jesus, you think that, yeah, the guy with the lamb draped over his shoulders and you might ask yourself, when you really think about it, is, is that it? Is that what Jesus is like? Is that really it? And the reality is, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you're religious or not, you have to admit it's impressive that someone who lived over 2,000 years ago had such a profound impact on uh, humanity and history. Like, our timeline literally gets divided into two parts that centered around his life, B.C. and A.D., he literally divided history. Now, think about it. If you say the name of Jesus anywhere in the world, almost anywhere in the world, they would recognize it. And while there are billions of people who have walked this planet, 
most scholars would rank Jesus as the most influential or significant person that's ever lived. And it makes you wonder, did all of that come from the guy that I have pictured up here in my mind because of the painting that Grandma had at her house? Is Jesus really like that? And, and if he's not like we imagine, then what is he like? Maybe one of the best ways to get to know some, someone is to listen to what they say about themselves. Now think about it. You, uh, you can tell us today more about you, uh, about who you are, than your middle school picture can, right? And so the same is true of Jesus. And by looking more closely at who he said he was, we're not only going to learn more about Jesus, but we're going to learn more about us in the process. So before we get into exactly what Jesus said about himself, it's worth mentioning who he was having this conversation with. Um, and so we go to the book of John, and it's, the book of John is one of the four books in the Bible that tell us about the life of Jesus. Uh, and one of Jesus' best friends, John, um, is writing this, and he records this uh, event for us as Jesus goes to the temple to talk to and is talking with a group of religious people. Now, the temple for them is like church for us. It's where they went to worship God. And as Jesus began to explain himself that day, um, there, there was um, a group of people that were there that weren't exactly buying what he was selling that day. And, and um, as, as Jesus, uh, this, this group was uh, called the Pharisees, and they were basically a group of, of religious experts. They understood Jewish history and Jewish law better than, uh, than anyone else because from the time that they were little kids, that's what they went to school to learn. They didn't go to learn math and, you know, Hebrew, and uh, they, they went to learn the Jewish scriptures. And the Pharisees were the best of the best. They just stuck with it all the way through. They're, they're the religious experts of Jewish history and Jewish law. And one of the most important things that they learned, and, one of the, and that they were all really, really proud of it, was the fact that they were descendants of a guy named Abraham. Abraham was a big deal. He, Abraham is considered the father of the Jewish faith. Now, maybe you've heard, if you grew up in church, been to little kid church, you've heard the song, Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You can sing with me. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, Father Abraham. And you go through, and you get all your body parts moving, and you sing the whole song over like ten times. And it's a big deal that a, a song that we teach little kids about a guy named Abraham still exists. It's, it, it was important to us. It's a really big deal to, to the first century uh, Jews. And so in this moment of discussion, Jesus at the temple with this group of people, Pharisees are among them, Jesus refers to God as his father. And the Pharisees respond to that in John chapter 8, verse 39. They're like, no, Jesus, Abraham is our father. And that may not sound like a big deal to you and I here today, but here's the message that they're sending back to Jesus. They're saying, you're talking, Jesus, like you're some super, something super important, but Abraham was our father. It was supposed to be a slam dunk, like sure, Jesus claimed to know God, but Jesus, uh, but Jesus wasn't like Abraham. Abraham really knew God. He was a legend, and nobody outranked him. And maybe that's what made it weird for the Pharisees to hear Jesus say, well, God is my father. Jesus was claiming to know things and to be able to do things that even Abraham couldn't do. And so finally, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus a question that probably is on everybody's mind. In verse 53, they say, Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? 
He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That was a question that everyone there wanted to know, but I'm pretty sure no one expected Jesus to answer the way he did. In verse 58, he says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And so Jesus says he existed before Abraham. But yet, here he is standing right in front of them. And so basically, Jesus is claiming to have always existed. In other words, Jesus just wasn't claiming to be as important as Abraham. He was going one step further than that and claiming to be God. Which had to throw the audience off. Like, no one says that. Imagine if you're in an argument with your friend, and, your friend, and, like, and your, you say to your friend, Oh yeah, well I'm God. Like, that's not right. No, like, no one tries to win an argument that way. Try to do that with your spouse. Hey babe, it's your turn to change the baby's diaper. She's like, no, I did it last. It's your turn. And you're like, oh, well, I'm God. You're going to do it tonight. <laughs> yeah, let, man, let me know how that works out for you, right? No, it's not normal. It's not a normal thing to do. And so chances are this left the audience that day thinking a couple of different things. One, well, maybe Jesus is lying. Maybe Jesus just wanted some attention or some power. In any case, it's a weird thing to lie about, if you think about it. A claim like that would get you killed either by the Roman government, which was the occupying uh, government over the Jewish state, or by the Pharisees who were in the crowd that day. Who, um, and, and so, you know, people lie to get out of being murdered. Nobody lies in order to get murdered. Okay, so the second thought is, well, maybe this guy's just crazy just off his rocker. I mean, you know, maybe he's lost it. Maybe, you know, he's claiming to be God. Only a crazy person would do that, right? But that didn't make sense because of the audience that day. Like, they knew Jesus. They had heard him speak before. He didn't show any signs of mental illness. In fact, he was logical and articulate and smart. No other signs pointed to crazy. So if he wasn't lying and he's not crazy, what other options are there? In my opinion, just one and it is that he was telling the truth. Jesus was claiming to be God because he was God. He is God. Now, you and I here today, we've heard this idea so much that even if we aren't totally on board with it, we, we're not shocked at the sound of it. But at the time, this is a mic, mic drop moment, like Jesus before Abraham was, I am. Boom. I am God. Jesus was saying the same God who created the world, put breath in their lungs, made little birds to fly, knows what black holes are all about, knows how tsunamis work, uh, that the same God is sitting right in front of them in that moment. And that changed everything. He wasn't just some uh, teacher or political leader. This guy was claiming to be God, and either he was or he wasn't. And for some of the Pharisees, this idea was so uncomfortable, so upsetting. They bend over and pick up stones. They're just going to have a good old-fashioned stoning today because they are just they can't get on board with what Jesus is saying. But for the people who believed in him, they began to follow him, hanging on his every word. They began to travel with him and trying to get as close as possible as they could to him. And suddenly. Every action of this guy is worth paying attention to because they weren't just the actions of some random guy. They were the actions of God. 
And so people began to notice the way he treated children and sick people and widows and orphans. And people made an effort to remember what he said and did. In fact, the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, are, are uh, four guys' accounts of the life of Jesus. And so if Jesus was God, if Jesus is God, here's the big takeaway for us. That every word that he said is worth listening to. Every word. If Jesus was God, then what he said wasn't just some good idea or nice teaching. What he said was the literal word of God. It could be trusted. It was true. But more than that, if Jesus was God, then every action is worth taking seriously. Because they weren't just coming from some teacher or some guy claiming to be special. Jesus' instructions weren't just the newest you know, self-help craze, if you've ever been to Books A Million or whatever bookstore and you just walk into the self-help section, there's like a gajillion books in the self-help section. You're like, holy cow, humans are so screwed up. Look at all of the self-help books. But that's not, his instructions aren't that, you know, the newest fad. They are the literal instructions of God on how to live our lives coming from the one who created life. And so in other words, If Jesus is who he says he is, then I will follow his lead. I will follow his lead. So when's the last time you had a movie moment? Let me explain what I mean by that. When's the last time that you've had something in your life happen that was so awesome, so epic, happen either to you or by you or for you or around you, the moment was perfect and you had some great role in life? Uh, in the scene maybe you found the most insane way to ask a girl to marry you and while the crowds of people uh, stood on envying and admiring the way that you chose to do that like uh, and and she said yes by the way talk about a mic drop moment or maybe you went to a concert and you had they you just didn't go to the concert you had front row tickets to the concert not only did you have front row tickets to the concert for your favorite band you got backstage passes and the lead singer signed your chest and you think this is amazing my favorite band and it's just this epic magic moment in your life or maybe you work really hard at your job and your boss is noticed and he calls you in to the office and he offers you a promotion and more pay and you say yes, and you go home, and you tell your wife, and she's like, honey, I'm so proud of you. Here's a back rub, and you just sit down on the couch, and I'm going to get some grapes and feed you while the Cubs win the World Series again, and it's this, this epic, magic moment that happens. Sometimes we are blessed with these sweet spots in life, which, by the way, that last one's never going to happen again, but it's worth dreaming about. In, in some way or another, We've all been there, right? We've all had these special moments in life where we're just like, that was amazing. I've had a moment like that in my life back in the seventh grade. I, I played Little League Baseball growing up. I was pretty good at Little League Baseball. I, I made the all-star team every year, and uh, I was usually one of the better kids on my team. And so I would make the all-star team. The problem with making the all-star team is when you make the all-star team, you're no longer the best kid on your team. You're just now one of the best kids on the team. And so... I, this particular year, about my seventh grade year, I made the all-star team, and we went to Forest Park, Brazil, to play a game, and what you need to know about Ryan Purse, Little Leaguer, is I was not a power hitter, I was a contact hitter, uh, I never hit a home run over the fence, 
I could hit line drives, get on base. I was quick. I had good baseball smarts. And so I, if I hit a home run, it was a little league home run, which is inside the park. You just run really fast. The other team makes lots of errors, and you get, you get, oh, that's called a little league home run. That was the only kind of home run I ever hit. So I get to Forest Park, Brazil, and I'm batting sixth or seventh, which the best kids on the team don't bat sixth or seventh. They bat third or fourth. And so I get up, bases are loaded, pitch comes in, Ryan Persh, boom, grand slam, all-star game. It was awesome. I rounded the bases. I don't even remember running around the bases. I got in the dugout. We scored four runs. I'm the hero. We win the game. They give me a case of soda pop at the end of the game. I don't know if they still do that if you hit a home run, but it was awesome. And... We, uh, we all have moments like that. The problem is, I wanted the fame of that game to last forever. Because I was a hero. But it didn't. In fact, the fame fell off the edge of a very steep uh, cliff just a couple days later. Baseball season ends. I find myself dealing with devastating boredom at home, like every 7th grade boy will in the middle of summer. Mom, I'm bored. And then school starts where I had 0% fame. And I played baseball two more years and then let the dream die. You see, that's the problem with epic magic movie moments. They end, right? And for the most part, they don't seem to show back up again for a really long time. I mean, I just had to reach all the way back into the seventh grade to find that one. And maybe you can relate. It's been a long time since you can remember having a, a perfect moment in your life where all the stars align and you're the hero of the story and life is just right. And if you're like me, you probably wonder things like, why can't my favorite artist perform life-changing concerts every weekend and I get to go with my closest friends and enjoy that in the luxury of front row seats? But that's not reality, is it? Real life isn't jam-packed with epic movie moments. There may be a few along the way, and we, we want to, we those are blessings from God, and we want to show gratitude for those things when they show up. But it's not, it'd be nice if there were more. It's just not realistic. So why is that? Here's a few reasons I think that is. People are people. People are people. Like, you know, sometimes your friends are around you and supporting you, laughing with you, not at you, and celebrating you. That helps make the perfect moments in life. But for the most part, your friends are busy and somewhat distracted, and they, like you and I, can be moody and feel frustrated and insecure and selfish and stressed out or any combination of those things and basically the same friends who can create these picture-perfect moments can also be the source of many frustrations in your life right so people are people another reason is life happens rarely does an epic moment happen at 215 on a Tuesday when you're working you know or going through uh, classes or exams or uh, chores at home or driving kids here and there and homework assignments and bad hair days and battles with the common cold. The, the movies, the movie moments aren't likely to happen. You know, life happens. And, and Christmas only comes once a year. Same with your birthday. Same with the magic uh, engagement ask that makes Google or YouTube and, and, and spring break or these nice vacations that you get. Um, Life just simply isn't engineered to keep us constantly amazed and entertained. The good stuff is stuff that we have to wait for. The last reason is there are, there are wins in life, but there are also losses. In one game, your team may, may you know, uh, hit a three-point buzzer and win the championship against the, 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 the rival. 
that's epic, but then they, you know, they can lose the next three games by an average of 20 points. And sometimes people get perfect, magical prom proposals, but sometimes you ask the girl and she says no. Sometimes no one asks you to the prom at all. The bottom line is this. Movies aren't reality. The rare movie moments are reality. You get them every once in a great while, and you should enjoy them like crazy when they happen. But for the rest of life, that, life doesn't work that way. It's normal. Uh, get up, get the kids out of bed, get them to school, go to work, get the kids from school, take them to practice, pick them up from practice, cook them dinner, get them baths, put them to bed, repeat. Right? That's normal life. And so you and I have an option. We can be bored until, and sad until the next epic movie moment happens, or we can discover something that makes uh, a significant difference in all of the normal moments of life, and that's where we're going to look again, things that Jesus said about himself. What does this mean for us today? And so we're going back to the book of John for this idea, one of the, the four Gospels. Um, and Jesus just, he's in, he's in front of a large crowd, uh, they're getting hungry. He, he feeds thousands of people with a little boy's lunch, uh, uh, five small loaves of bread and two fish, and it's sometimes called the feeding of the 5,000 because Jesus made the food multiply and fed everyone, and they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. The people are raving about Jesus, and they had just witnessed this crazy miracle, and that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 14, and it says this, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now Jesus, knowing that they intended to, uh, the crowd intended to come and make him king by force, and knowing that that's not how things should play out, he withdrew to a mountain by himself. And I'm guessing these people were following Jesus because of what Jesus could do for them, right? Because they wanted to see more miracles. Even Jesus' disciples, his closest friends, wanted to see more signs, proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The disciples cross the lake by boat to get back to Jesus, and when they get there, Jesus says this in uh, verse 26. He says to them, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered their question. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And you can imagine they were like, uh, what? The work that God has for them is to trust Jesus. That's it? Yep, that's it. Well, it doesn't seem very epic or magical or movie-like to me. You see, everyone wanted a Messiah who would create nonstop movie moments for them, a, a, a Savior who would heal their sicknesses and perform miracles over their loved ones and overthrow the Roman government and establish the Jewish people, the underdogs, in a position of power and abundance and fill their stomachs with all the food that they could ever want. But Jesus knew that that is not what the people needed. They didn't need nonstop movie moments. That's, that wasn't what they needed at all. He knew that even though there were certain, um, even though they were certain those moments would keep them happy, 
It wouldn't really. They, they would only be living from one cool miracle to the next. Jesus, do it again. Yes, Jesus, do it again. The people didn't need more epic moments. They needed fullness and fulfillment where they were in life's normal moments. And so we've been talking about how Jesus describes himself. And so here he makes this massive I am statement. Here's who I am. And so he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All of those the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And in that claim, Jesus is he's making a very bold claim. He is saying, I am essential. Essential to your life. While you can exist without me in your life, you're not really living if you don't have me as the source of your life. I can make your life, your normal, everyday life, more full than you ever imagined. But telling us, You'll, you'll never go hungry and you're never going to be thirsty. Like, what does that even mean? Like, if, you're, if you guys are anything like me, you could go for some Taco Bell right about now. Like, I get hungry somewhere between 10 and 35 times a day. And I, so does that mean I can't trust what Jesus says when he says you'll never be hungry or thirsty again? Well, no. Jesus isn't talking about physical food or drink, right? He's talking about himself. He is the thing that satisfies our need to be satisfied, right? So, now think about this. Isn't that what's happening? Isn't satisfied the word that you would use to describe your life when everything is right? When you're in the middle of a picture-perfect, movie-like moment, and you just look around, and everything is good, and you just go, I'm, sat this is, I'm satisfied. Now, satisfied maybe is not a, a word that gets used a lot in everyday normal conversation. I've probably never texted that to, a, you know, said that in a text to somebody. And, and I wanted to come up with just a really cool visual way to illuminate this that I think maybe will help. I think satisfied just looks like this. Life is good, right? Epic moment. This is all good. A silly little emoji means things are good. We're doing just fine. All is well with us. We're content and okay with the current moment in our lives. Life is good. And that's how life feels in epic moments. But I don't want you to miss this. If what Jesus says is true, that he is the bread of life, and with him will never, never go hungry or thirsty, then satisfied is the promise given to you and I in that. You will never go hungry in Jesus Christ. And it's not just during the big epic moments of life, but in all of the moments of life you'll be satisfied in Jesus. In the disappointed moments, in the tired moments, in overwhelmed moments, in confusing moments, and in boring moments. In the normal, regular, routine, not movie-like at all, everyday life moments. If Jesus is the bread of life, then you can be satisfied. And it doesn't mean that you'll get everything that you want. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have fun all the time. And no, it doesn't mean that nothing ever will go wrong in your life. It means that we'll change the way that we look at the world around us. We won't need to live in one epic moment to the next. Oh, Jesus, do it again. Jesus, do it again. No. 
Instead, we'll just we'll be okay in the average moments of life too. It means that there's hope for something. It's, there's hope in something bigger than what kind of mood our friends are in, or our spouse is in when they come home after a long day, or how much money we have, or whether or not we have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It means that we can find life even on a rainy Thursday. Even when we have allergies and even when we know we got to get our kids to practice and back after we've worked all day. It means that we can be satisfied even when we desperately need to take a nap. Even when we desperately want a date or hope to, you know, get a promotion or dominate an SAT test or whatever. Maybe, maybe you guys have been coming to church and thinking that coming to church is all about just singing, singing certain songs, listening to a sermon, go home. And do it again next week. And you've never, just never really thought about who or what Jesus really claimed to be. Or maybe you just, you've grown up in church your whole life and you've heard that, you know, Jesus was God your, your whole life. And you just never have really thought about how amazing that claim really is until today. Either way, I just want to encourage you to decide for yourself. Don't let someone else decide this for you. Ask yourself, who is Jesus he claimed to be God, but was he lying, or was he just crazy, or could he actually have been who he said he was? Because if he is who he says he is, then you can trust him enough to follow him. And maybe that's a decision that you've already made, but it's been a while since you really thought about what that means for you. So today, I, I just want to drop a couple challenges on you as you leave here, and, and I just no matter... Um, uh, just a couple challenges... Uh, to respond, and how do you respond to everything you just heard? Okay, so a couple things. Respond like his earliest followers did. And there's three ways I'm going to give you that I think that it ways that they responded. The first one is, when it comes to Jesus' words, listen. Listen. What was he saying? If you aren't sure which words are his, a lot of them are found in the first four books in the New Testament Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. In fact, some Bibles even print Jesus' words in red just to make them easy to find. No, no matter how you find them, maybe, maybe it's time you begin reading and memorizing some of Jesus' words. Another thing his earliest followers did is when it came to his actions, they paid attention. And so just like his earliest followers, pay attention to how Jesus lived his life and how did he treat people. And then you decide to treat people like he did. Maybe that means for you, starting at home with your spouse or your kids. Treating them a little differently. Maybe it means going to work and treating your coworker just a little bit differently than you have been. When you pay attention to how Jesus treated people, you may just find it changes how you treat people as well. Because he made people... If Jesus is God, I mean, he, that's, he's the author of life, then he knows that you can trust what he says to be true and right when it comes to dealing with people. So follow his lead. The last thing I think they did was when it comes to Jesus' instructions is you take them seriously. Take them seriously. If Jesus is God, then his teachings aren't just some random suggestions. They're instructions for us from our Heavenly Father who loves you and wants the best life for you. They're coming from someone who made everything and sees everything and knows what's best for you. They can be trusted to be true and to get you where you need to be. So what is something that Jesus has taught that you haven't really thought very seriously about applying in your life? Change that. 
take them seriously when Jesus says to do something. And so in other words, if Jesus is who he says he is, I will follow his lead. I will follow his lead. There's one group of people this morning that I haven't really talked to yet, and it's the person that would come to church maybe for the first time, maybe you've been coming for a few times, and you've just never said yes to Jesus in your life. Today's the day. This is your invitation. Do, do an, investiga- an investigation. Jesus says if you seek the truth, you will find it. And maybe today's the first day you've ever heard the claim, well, Jesus is God, and if Jesus is God, then maybe I should follow that. Maybe I should give my life to that, to him. So the band's going to come up and sing. Um, If you, for the first time ever, maybe want to respond to that, you're welcome to come up, and we would pray with you and just give you some instructions and and do life with you. You're part of the family at that point. So um, bow your heads, pray with me. God, you're awesome. I'm so thankful for, for you in my life, in the life of this church, and how you work and move. And God, I, I just pray now for, for those of us that are believers, we've, we've said yes at some point to you in our lives. God, forgive us when, we, um, when we're not paying attention, when we don't take you seriously. God, help us to do better. God, for those of us in the room that have never um, said yes to you, I pray that today is the day. I pray that they would just, um, there's something missing and that you are that thing and that they would want to say yes to that in response to what they've heard this morning. So may it be so, God. We love you so much. We're thankful for how you love us and bless us. God, give us, um, give us a great week as we go out of this place and try to do your will and serve your your kingdom here in Terre Haute. And so um, help us to that. And God, we love you so much and pray in Jesus' name.